Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. Welcome to the episode. I'm Dr. Armin Feldman, and as always, I'm here with my friend, colleague, and partner in Physicians Legal Consultants, Dr. Mike Bummer. Hi, Mike. Hi, Armin. How are you today? I'm good. You you as well? Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing great. And uh, I enjoyed our LinkedIn car crash Wednesday last week. It, I, I wanted to mention we, we haven't necessarily brought that up a lot on this podcast, but for anyone mm-hmm. of our listeners, whether attorneys or physicians or just people who like hearing us talk about some interesting medicine, the uh, hop on over to LinkedIn and you can uh, request to connect with either Dr. Armin Feldman or, or myself, Dr. Mike Bummer. And now what we've tried to do is every other Wednesday, we are tackling a live case and usually going through a redacted report and letting people ask questions live and interact with us and kind of showing them a little bit more visually what we work on, which we can't really do in a podcast. I'm glad you mentioned that, Mike. That's great. And it certainly is a lot of fun for us. And I think it's quite uh, informative to our listeners. Yeah, it's it's I have a lot of fun with it. The whole the whole internet medium now with social media and uh uh interactions between professionals I think is enhanced. I was not on the LinkedIn train early. I really only got into it a few years ago and since it's it's been really nice to connect with other professionals. So Yeah. And regarding our podcast today, I should mention that we were gonna do two cases that we had talked about, right? And we, when we got into this, uh, the details of the one that I think you really uh, nailed some interesting topics here, I, I said to you, let's just, let's just delve a little bit deeper into this one because it involves something that is, you see a bit more frequently than I do with regards to independent medical exams, and that's uh, Waddell's sign. Is, would you like to just kind of jump into this case and, and help help us understand how this applies? Yeah, great. Uh, thanks. So this is a case of a 41-year-old man who uh, was the uh, head chef at a restaurant in the Denver foothills. And he walked, uh, he went into the walk-in freezer And apparently there was a water leak that he didn't know about, no one knew about, that shouldn't be there, of course. There was a water leak in the freezer, and that water froze. As uh, you might imagine, uh, he was scurrying around to get this and that done for service uh, at the restaurant, and he slipped on some ice in the walk-in freezer. And he had some significant injuries as a result. So 
this is actually a, a slip and fall case, but it's specific be to, because it was a work-related injury. But of course, we know and our listeners know slip and fall cases happen all the time in personal injury and in workers' compensation. So he wound up with head, neck, back, and hip injuries. And then he subsequently, which I'll talk about in a little bit later, he subsequently had a couple of other injuries to his knees that, in my opinion, was also accident-related, and I'll get into that. Hmm. So he was uh, trying to get some help on the knee injuries, and the uh, opposing uh, the insurance his uh, workers comp insurance and uh, represented through opposing counsel uh, said that not only were his knee injuries not work related but that he really didn't have much of any injuries at all and the uh, physician who did the IME relied heavily on something called Waddell signs, which I'm sure our attorney listeners know about. Some of our physician listeners may not be as familiar unless they're in this kind of work area, but uh, the IME doc relied heavily on Waddell signs to say that this guy uh, was either exaggerating the symptoms or they were non-organic or something like that. So I thought Carmen, let me let me ask you did did the client seek appropriate early medical care for these injuries or was there a cloud of delayed care or because I I'm trying to piece together a bit of the timeline on right. when, when the IME came in and where what the legitimacy or the 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 challenges of the legitimacy of these complaints relating to the work injury are yeah, thanks for mentioning that because he did seek appropriate medical care. There was a, just a slight delay and to his getting the care. And the IME doctor um, made a big deal about this. In fact, um, the IME uh, doctor said that um, he felt that the uh, client had a, quote, minor injury, end quote. And he defined a minor injury, and he said that's defined as uh, no significant loss of work time, no need for emergent medical care and imaging, and imaging which fails to show evidence of acute trauma. Hmm. So, uh, but here's the catch to that, Mike. Uh, what he doesn't say in his report is that the reason that uh, the client had a slight delay in getting some medical care is this slip and fall in the freezer happened the week of Thanksgiving. Mm. And so uh, despite having significant injuries and uh, I'll, I'll give something away. He was also in, uh, I don't know how he, seem to forget this, but eventually this man did have an MRI that showed a labral tear in mm. his hip. And so, uh, uh, by the way, for uh, our attorney listeners, let me just say that a, a labral tear 
uh, involves the ring of cartilage, it's called the labrum, that follows the outside rim of the hip socket and uh, acts as cushioning. It's the uh, cup part of the uh, ball and socket joint uh, in the hip. Right, it's the guide rail. It's kind of the guardrail of the joint, yeah. Yeah. So what I said in my report is, well, what the IME doctor left out is that because this was the week of Thanksgiving, um, he uh, absolutely had to grin and bear it, grit his teeth and push through. They had uh, a couple of full houses at this restaurant. He's the head chef at the restaurant. And despite being in a considerable amount of pain, it, he felt really he had no choice but to fight through the pain and do the work required to put out the uh, Thanksgiving Day meals. And he uh, really did that because he felt it was so important to not only his job, but the patrons at the restaurant and it being such an important holiday uh, that he had to push through. Now, that, that isn't mentioned in the IME report, but right after that, right after the Thanksgiving uh, service, he did go seek out medical care and uh, eventually uh, he was diagnosed with this labral tear. Hmm. Yeah, that that instance happens a lot. I've done a, a fair amount of workers' compensation cases or even just injury claims where the the client has a really good explanation for a pretty, even a short delay in care, yet that becomes a, a real uh, sticking point from the, the defense uh, attorney and opposing counsel who's trying to say that that, that invalidates the t- temporal time-related relationship of the injury. And, and, and frankly, it, it's so easily explained. I, I run into that so frequently, Armin. Yeah, yeah. Yes, in fact, I think you've talked about it on some some of our previous podcasts. Yep. yep. So tell us so, about Waddell's signs then. Tell us how that that related to this report and how you, you know, whether you considered them valid or how this IME doctor, how you implied that maybe this was uh, not a proper usage of Waddell's sign. Well, yes, let me uh, talk about that. So, uh, just so everyone is clear. So what happened is I was asked by this uh, client's attorney to observe the IME done by this particular physician, which of course then uh, put me in a position, if it was appropriate, which it was, to write an IME rebuttal mm-hmm. report. Mm-hmm. So in when the IME uh, report came back, Uh, What I say in my report is that the IME doctor relies heavily on Waddell's signs and relies on those findings to uh, derive his conclusions and opinions. Now, let me just say, in 1980, a physician by the name of Waddell and and his group wrote this uh, medical journal article And he describes five categories of signs. And 
if these signs are positive, what Waddell says is that this shows that the client is either being driven by secondary gain uh, or maybe out and out malingering uh, and or has a non-organic, non-physiologic complaints. Okay. Yeah. And I'll tell you, by the way, that since Waddell's paper came out, there has been debate about whether these signs are valid or not. And I'll get into that in just a moment. So I don't want to spend too much time with this, but the signs are uh, superficial or diffuse tenderness and or non-anatomic tenderness. There are stimulation tests. In other words, um, uh, these are based on movements which produce pain without actually causing that that movement. There are distraction tests where uh, a positive test is rechecked when the patient's attention is distracted, mm -hmm. uh, such as a straight leg raising test, and, and they don't have pain. Uh, weakness or sensory changes which deviate from accepted neuroanatomy. And the last one is overreaction. Uh, the demeanor uh, and uh, the person's um, response to various things is, is exaggerated. Okay. Now, by the way, I, Mike, I should probably say that even in cases in which the doctor is not specifically relying on Waddell signs, that these kinds of things are used all the time. So something that you and I uh, see all the time in opposing a doctor report is they'll say something like, well, the client's pain is diffuse. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, um, the hidden meaning there is, well, he's faking, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, the uh, pain should be specific. And I, I remember, I think I even talked about it in one of our past podcasts, but I remember being in an IME, the report came back, the pain is diffuse. But what I remember uh, about uh, the client's behavior is that he actually took his index finger and he pointed right at his shoulder at the glenohumeral joint. And he said, here's where my pain is. So it wasn't diffuse at all. Uh, something else that comes up is you often see opposing doctors writing something that, well, the pain, uh, the sensory, for example, um, pinprick uh, to the skin, and which is measures sensory, sensory ability and sensory changes. They say it uh, it doesn't it doesn't fit, but yet if you go and take a look at the dermatome, that's the area mm -hmm. of the skin uh, that's associated, that's innervated with a very specific um, nerve coming out of the spine that uh, I found is actually much more common that when the person says, hey, I don't have any uh, sensation or reduced sensation here at this part of my leg, that it actually fits the uh, anatomy. They may have a, a ruptured disc that's pushing on a, a nerve root, and it lines up perfectly with where they're saying the sensory loss. That's a really, so, really good point. The way you describe that, because we, the subjective term 
it's a bit subjective to call something diffuse. Maybe maybe you're just not looking close enough or not doing the right test or not not asking the right question. So then mm-hmm. you fall back to this default kind of, oh, it's diffuse. It, it, it is. As, as physicians, we know that sometimes you, you don't know the answer and you use words like diffuse. And in this case, or in these types of cases, it's dangerous. It, it, it's dangerous for the client because it, it inaccurately represents a something not being specific, whereas in reality, it might just not have been explored well enough or, or tested correctly or interpreted correctly. I, the way right. you described that to me, I, I don't know if, if a non-physician listener would have picked up all of that. And it, it, this, these, sometimes these topics are a bit dense in, in, right. in medical speak, but, but I, I thought you described that quite well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So what I said in my report is after, after reviewing the medical literature that has been written about Waddell signs over the last 10 to 20 years, what that reveals is that the preponderance of medical journal articles report that Waddell signs offer little objective confirmation exactly. yep. that there uh, are non-organic issues at play. Now, I do say in my report, now, now, you know, certainly some researchers find Waddell signs to be valid, but uh, they are de- distinctly in the minority. So then in the report, I quote some articles. One is from the Clinical Journal of Pain. And what they say in their report is they reviewed, I don't remember the exact number, but you know, it had to be in the tens, maybe, you know, hundred reports about uh, journal articles about Waddell signs. And what they say is overall, 75% of these reports uh, show no association between Waddell signs and the uh, uh, idea that uh, the client is uh, presenting with secondary gain uh, or malingering. So it was concluded that there was little evidence for the claims of association between Waddell signs and uh, secondary gain or malingering. And the preponderance of the evidence points to the opposite, that there is no association. And this, this IME doctor, as you said at the beginning, was leaning heavily uh, based upon his conclusions, using Waddell sign to say that this injury was likely minor. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So then I quote another article that's an example of this. It's in pain management. And I say the authors conclude Waddell signs do not correlate with psychological stress. Waddell signs do not discriminate organic from non-organic. Waddell's uh, signs uh, are not associated with secondary gain. And uh, as a group, Waddell's science studies demonstrate methodological problems. And so in plain English, what they're saying is, this isn't a valid way to determine this. It, It just doesn't pan out once you study it. Yep. So uh, then uh, I'll tell you what happens. So the uh, MRI shows the torn labrum. 
Uh, he's set up for surgery, which he does have for that uh, problem. So uh, there was hardly no injury here, but the, uh, the, and really the, the big part of my report here was that about two months before he was to have the surgery to repair his torn labrum, he is at home. He is taking a, a, a tub bath, finishes that up, and is beginning to move to move out of the bathtub and experiences this um, incredibly uh, sharp pain uh, in his uh, back and hip. And it causes him to lose his balance as he's leaving the tub. He falls, and of all things, he injures both of his knees. Mm. So he, uh, I won't go into all the details, but suffice it to say that he had torn ligaments, not on, not in one knee, but in both knees. Mm -hmm. And did so, you in your report actually spell out that you believed his original injury, which was directly caused by the slip and fall? Then how did you address or handle the, uh, the kind of, timeline of, of those events and did you directly relate the bi the bilateral knee injuries to the original slip and fall yes. how did you apportion that yeah so uh well what i said is first of all it was my opinion to a reasonable degree of medical probability uh that his uh, labral tear his uh neck and back pain and hip pain that the slip and fall was the immediate proximate cause uh, mm. of those injuries. Okay. And I, I don't think there was, there should have been much debate about that. Yeah. Um, but then what I went on to say was, uh, and I think this may, um, very state to state, depending on the state rules for workers' comp. Uh, but certainly in PI cases and in workers' comp cases, you know, there's this uh, straw that broke the camel's back theory uh, that um, because this uh, man had these injuries, he, he would not have fallen uh, out of the tub. He would not have had the injuries to his knees. And so it was my uh, opinion to a reasonable degree of medical probability that in this specific case, the knee injuries were also a direct result, were the immediate and proximate cause of the knee injuries. He uh, had no reason he was healthy, 41-year-old man. There was no reason for him to fall out of the tub and injure both knees unless he had had uh, the uh, injury that preceded it. Yep. Great report. How, how many pages was the report? Do you remember? Uh, well, I have it in front of me. The report's five pages. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. R really good case, Armin. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty interesting case. Felt so uh, bad for this guy. I mean, he was, uh, it was, I interviewed him in uh, person at the um, attorney's office. He was a straightforward, hardworking guy, uh, frustrated by uh, what had happened to him. The only thing he wanted to do was, quote, get fixed and uh, get back to work. 
So, uh, you know, yeah, I didn't see any evidence of uh, exaggeration or uh, there was no issue, in my opinion, of secondary gain. I mean, he didn't want to declare himself disabled. He wanted to get back to work. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that case. I, I think it's probably worth wrapping up. And I'd, I'd like to take yeah. the opportunity to mention that if any of our listeners would like to see a redacted version, maybe of this report or our other similar reports, you can email us at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You, like I mentioned at the beginning, please, if you're on LinkedIn, uh, send us a connection request, Armin Feldman or Michael Bummer, and we'll, you could tune into our LinkedIn lives. And if you have a case you'd like to discuss, uh, feel free and please reach out and we'd be happy to discuss uh, how we can help and, and help you sort out the medical aspects of your cases. Great. All right. We look forward to having all of you back for the next episode. Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com.